that, we're going to continue a little bit about what we did last week, no, two weeks ago, uh, and talk about open window. Uh, I know two weeks ago I shared about uh, the, the, the supernatural sign that we saw in the sky, Pastor and I, and we talked about, uh, first of all, having an open gate. And the Lord told us, me and Pastor, to open the gate here at uh, River Church. And uh, so, uh, and then we saw that cloud in the sky that was a supernatural. Uh, I will tell you, it was the twisted cloud, you know. It was that one that we saw. Uh, we, that was in the evening. We didn't see the morning ones that came later. <laughs> we, I'm in the house in the morning. I was awake, but I'm, because I was up it, here lately, I'm up before it gets daylight because it's getting dark. Uh, it's so dark so late. So anyway, but uh, so we saw this column. It was like a, this swirling cloud, and uh, the pastor immediately said it was a sign. And then I said, uh, we got to take a picture, and then we tried to do that, and that was kind of tough. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we weren't that good at it. But there was, you got to understand, there was traffic. There was all sorts of stuff. And so, um, <clears throat> but I went home that night and uh, read uh, in a book I'm reading about miracles and healings and uh, uh a lot of things that were happening miraculously during the healing revival that began in 1947 and went through about 1958. And when I was reading about this one particular minister, that is exactly how uh, the angel would appear in his meeting was that uh, that column or that pillar of fire and the whirlwind looking cloud. And so I'm like, wow, that is, that's really good. And plus this had a wing sticking out to one side, one wing sticking out so we can, and the wing shows up real good in the picture. But anyway, and so that night at prayer, that was on a Monday night, uh, at the very end of prayer, the Lord spoke to me and he said, uh, I'm making a window available to you. And so I don't know all that means, but we have been praying about it in prayer and uh, at, at before church tonight and, and just taking a lot of opportunities to pray about that window that God has made, made available to all of us. And then uh, came very next morning to pray here at the church and, um, and uh, the person I was praying with said, uh, I asked her if she knew of anything we were supposed to pray about before we got started and she said well I just keep hearing open season and so I'm like okay I, I'm getting the picture God open gate open window open season and in the mouth of two or three witnesses something's happening and so I'm um, excited about that very excited and so <clears throat> we've been and then we had uh, uh, Monday night they showed us pictures of other cloud signs in the sky one of them looked really like a portal uh, very much so like a portal I thought the other two there were three pictures you can go to ABC 3340 on I think you can find James Spann yeah you can go and look at them somebody that could take bigger better pictures than and they were in Tuscaloosa these were not over in Birmingham these were Tuscaloosa clouds and uh to the last two to me looked like an angel going up through it I, it it kind of looked like something was swooshing up through it and uh so I was I, I've been you know, and I know you can't build a doctrine on that, but it's just confirmation. The Bible says there will be signs in the heavens. And so uh, we're not trying to build doctrine on it. We're just saying, hallelujah, God is showing up and confirming that he's showing up. And he's been really showing up. I tell you what, 
I, Pastor and I are saying it all the time. Uh, surprise us with your goodness. And it is, ha- it, it took a few while. We said it and said it and said it. But then when, when it kicked in, it was like, uh, we have had a lot of God surprising us with his goodness. Uh, and some of it can be just little things, but it's just amazing, uh, amazing blessings that God has, uh, been showing up with. And, um, and sometimes it's people showing up like Sunday. We got surprised with his goodness by Ronald C's showing up and uh, he was a blessing to all of us. So tonight I want to kind of start at the beginning and I'm going to tell you some things and then we're going to do something else. But I'm going to start. I'm going to start at the very beginning and I'm going to start that my great grandmother was Pentecostal. Her name was Susan Campbell Newcomb. And uh, she died, and she was 90-something years old, when I was in the fifth grade. But I remember her so well. I mean, I can see her hands. I know exactly how her hands feel, how they look. Uh, I mean, I was very... uh, but she kept me when I was little. She was she attended the Assembly of God Church. She spoke in tongues. She was she was Pentecostal all the way, except that she read the Baptist Standard. I don't know why, but she got the Baptist. I think her kids were trying to convert her, so they signed her up to the Baptist Standard because all her kids were Baptist. Uh, so anyway, and then my grandmother, but that it. Grandmother Newcomb was my grand was grandgrand's mother. For those of you in the room, some of you in the room know grandgrand, and that was my grandfather. And so, but my grandmother uh, would have been her daughter-in-law, and my grandmother got filled with the spirit during by herself, all by herself, out on her ranch in Holly, Texas, in approximately 1967 or 68. I don't know why I didn't think to ask her before she left us in 1996. But uh, she was in the charismatic movement. Uh, and she is responsible for Pastor and I getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. Uh, we thought she was crazy. Grand Grand thought she was crazy. And uh, she gave us books, and we did not read them. We set them on the shelf. We knew she watched PTL. And so when I was pregnant with Colin, I quit work after a few months, and uh, I started watching PTL back when it was right, you know, when it was all, everything was okay about PTL. And got my first introduction to, and so she's responsible. Actually, where we got Phyllis' Spirit was on New Year's Day. She had invited some people to come in for New Year's Day, uh, to come in and testify and play their guitars and sing scripture songs and tell. And they were former Baptists who had gotten baptized in the Holy Ghost. And under them, we got baptized in the Holy Ghost, January 1st, 1980. And then we cut our teeth on Brother Hagen, Brother Copeland, John Osteen, Marilyn Hickey. You know, the Faith Hall of Fame, we call it. Hallelujah. Went to the... went to. Uh, camp meeting in 1982, the summer of 82, and the Faith Hall of Fame was there. Every big faith minister was at camp meeting that summer. And uh, so we were cutting our teeth on these men of faith and women of faith. And we began pastoring in October. Do you know what? One it, Tonight is the anniversary. Last Wednesday of October. I, I'm, I know the Lord had to remind me of that today. But the last Wednesday of October, 1982, we started on a Wednesday night uh, pastoring the church. Pastor showed up in his boots and, his, uh, and a western 
coat and uh, hallelujah and, and preached his first sermon like to the church. We'd had a Bible study for approximately 22 months or something before that in our home. So I guess technically we started into the ministry in one sense in January of 1980, but we and we didn't have any uh, studying as far as seminary or anything like that. We just knew what we'd heard on tape. That's all we our book or read a book or wrote it on a tape, a cassette tape, a really a cassette tape. You know, I'm always calling them, but it was a real cassette tape. Uh, but we, I always loved the move of the spirit. And in our church, though, in Seminole, we had a greater emphasis. Was I would say that 95% or 90% of the emphasis was just on the Word of God. And that was during the teaching movement that was being poured out. And so, but in 1994, were y'all there in 94? You were? Okay, well, Patrick Norris came first, and then Ann Durant. Ann and Kevin Durant, and I remember sitting in our backyard in Seminole, uh, out on lawn chairs. You know, you could sit there without him spraying on bug spray. Hallelujah, just <laughs> hallelujah, no chiggers or nothing. And so um, we were sitting out there, and this new move had started in the body of Christ where people were laughing and dancing. And, you know, they tried to tell us about it and expose, and we got, but, um, and people were just getting filled up on the Spirit. And they, they knew about it, but they had not yet really been able to know how to get that flow into their meetings. So even though they preached at our church, we never really got that flow. But one thing we did, they left us hungry for more. And it's like, man, God's doing something. we got to figure out what it is and find out what it is. But really it was uh, kind of winding down. When we moved to Birmingham, we kind of got in on the tail end of it. In 1995, God began to talk to us about moving. And in 96, of February of 96, we moved to Birmingham. And a week and a half later, less than two weeks later, Brother Hagen came for his big Holy Ghost meeting there, uh, the first one that he had there. And it was uh, two weeks long. And it was really that move of the laughter, the running, the dancing, that was, that was really the move of God that was happening during those uh, two weeks. So we got a good dose uh, during that time of what we were hungry for. But you know what? It was like they came to Seminole and they talked to us about dancing in the Spirit. But if you've never seen anybody dance in the Spirit, you can't hardly dance in the Spirit because you can't even figure out, well, what would that look like? And all we had ever seen is where people... Uh, I, the charismatics did a different kind of dance. I can't even do it, but yeah, I wish. Yeah, I mean, if for those of you who never weren't in the charismatic movement, I wish you could see it. Yeah, we called it that, but you know, it had a different look to it, and so we just didn't know how to, you know. And we, you know, well, how do you laugh, you know? And so anyway, we just didn't know, and so we had to get into the move. Sometimes you've got to get into it, and so. In 1997 of January, the plan to start this church began with a lunch meeting with Pastor Webb um, to start Word of Life Church in, in Tuscaloosa. And uh, so that all started then, and then we started in February, I believe the 8th of February of 1997. We still were living in Birmingham at that time. But here's my point. I said all that to get to here, okay? The first planning meeting that we had with two couples to plan for this church, two couples that had been 
going to Birmingham to church and were in the Bible study that was already formed over here, we met with those two couples and uh, I remember I told them, I, I can't remember what pastor said to them. I mean, he talked the most and did most of the talking, but I remember telling them two things and they still hold true today, even though uh, we'll talk about some of the changes that have transpired. Uh, one Number one, I said, we want a church that flows with the Holy Ghost. And we're just not interested in being the pastors over here if we can't have a church that flows with the Holy Ghost. Not just a teaching the Word church, because we had come out of that, where the church was mostly just teaching the Word, and it was good, and the people grew and were changed and prospered. But... Um, yeah, and but I was I wanted more. I wanted a Holy Ghost move church. I have those Holy Ghost genes down in me from Grandmother Newcomb. It's in my DNA. It's in my heritage. I have to have the move of God or I'm just not happy. Hallelujah. I've been Baptist. Don't want to be. You know, a lot of churches that started out spirit-filled have now nearly turned back Baptist. In fact, a lot of Pentecostal churches, you can't tell them from a Baptist church anymore. They say that about some Pentecostal churches here in town. That's what I've heard. That it's like you can go to them and you don't even know they're filth of spirit. There's no obvious show that they are. Even though I guess if you talked to them and said, you know, well, yeah, I spoke in tongues back in the 60s or something. Well, you know, that was not what we wanted. We wanted something. We wanted it fresh. Hallelujah. And the move of God. And then the second thing I told them is if you don't like women preachers, you might as well know right now and you know that I'm called to teach and my husband's in agreement with it. And uh, this will be a church with women teachers and preachers. Hallelujah. So that's what my two things were to them. Well, now fast forward, a lot of water under the bridge, and we won't cover all that tonight. But in 1999, we went to Brother uh, Copeland's minister's meeting that he always has every January in Fort Worth at Eagle Mountain Church. And in his bookstore, I bought Glory, the book called Glory by Ruth Ward Heflin. And uh, I was... Boy, I, I tell you what, I was so hungry for the move of God that when I read that book, it was like delicious. It was delicious. I was like, oh, my word, there has never been a book like this. There, you know, that's how you feel when you came into what God, where God wants you to be. You know, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's what it was like. It was just like eating a, a candy bar, only a thousand times better. And uh, so, uh, and then from there, I read the entire series, which she wrote about seven books on the glory, uh, glory, re revival, glory. I don't know. They just go on and on. And then, uh, so, and, you know, wanted to go to Ashland, Virginia to see her, but she went to be with Jesus before we could get to Ashland, Virginia, because I wanted to see her. Now, she was old time Pentecost, too. I mean, she had the bun and the no makeup and the everything. But boy, I tell you what, she knew the Holy Ghost. And that's what I wanted to do is know the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So uh, <clears throat> then fast forward to 2008. In 2008, I'm, now I'm guessing about this, about I'm saying this is approximately the time that the Lord began to say to us, I want you to host a move of God in Alabama. I mean, up until that time, we might not have really had that part of the thing in our vision. And we began to speak it and pray it. 
And about that time, I read my first Bill Johnson book, When Heaven Invades Earth. And it was one of those two where it's like, oh, man, this is good. I don't think it tasted near as good as the glory book because, but it, because that glory book was like, it'd be like your first drink of water when you've been in a desert or something. But so I'm a little more. I'm a little more saturated, but it was really good, and so got my attention. Um, then in 2012, I felt led to take a healing course by Randy Clark and his ministry called Global Awakening. In, the, in late 2012, you know, that was just last year, pastor said I was going to take uh, the second healing course. He has a four, the healing course is four parts, and then you can take deliverance, and it's four parts, and then you can take inner healing, and it's four parts. And before you get through, you've got a college education in healing, deliverance, and inner healing, <laughs> and you've spent $5,000, too. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that much, but hallelujah. Um, no, not near that much, but anyway, um, all those courses do add up. Then in 2000, at the end of 2012, a pastor began to say that he was feeling compelled to take the leadership development course from Bill Johnson and at Global Legacy. And so I was still going to take my healing course, but as he signed up for that, they said, oh, well, your spouse can go free. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go free and do that too. So that has put us into this revival culture that we have spent the entire last year developing in this church. And that's what Firestarters is all about. And you know that, and you know a lot about the revival cultures of spiritual fathers and honor and, and all those things. And so, um, um, one of the things that, a lot of people don't know is that if you want miracles, then the atmosphere has to be right. It's not just that you know the word. It's not just that you pray for the sick. Oh, you're going to see something here and there, but if you can get the atmosphere changed in a church, if you can get the atmosphere changed, you can see more. And there are, there are certain things that it's not just a matter of praying. I know we kind of, we still sometimes have that religion in us that wants to say God is sovereign. And, you know, he can, he can just do this. But for some reason, he set it up that, and there's, there's, there's things that you have to have breakthrough in. And so we've been on that pursuit this year of getting the atmosphere right, getting us where we all think right, getting us where we're all on the same page, and that we can have that atmosphere here. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we just sit around hoping God will do something in our church. But, uh, and we might have been guilty of that in past years. I don't think we really were, but we, we weren't pursuing in this direction for sure. Uh, but God has put us, uh, us on a quest to grow and to change and to understand. And if you would, turn with me in Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to read it from Amplified, but hallelujah. Forgot, forgot I wanted to read the Amplified, but I'll get it. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm nearly through here. And we're going to do something. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. You know, if we don't get what we want the first time, we just need to keep on, don't we? Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, 
making your ear attentive to skillful and godly wisdom and inclining and directing your heart and mind to understanding, applying all your powers to the quest for it. Applying everything you have to the quest for understanding. Yes, verse 3, yes, if you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek wisdom as for silver and search for skillful and godly wisdom as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of your omniscient God. For the Lord gives skillful and godly wisdom from his mouth, wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I know a uh, long, long time ago, I heard Pastor Webb give this scripture that to make, uh, to make a, if we, you would go after understanding in verse 2. And so that has been a, my prayer a lot of times. Uh, making your heart, in verse 2, it's just so awesome. Making your heart, making your ear attentive to skillful and godly wisdom and inclining and directing your heart and mind to understanding, applying all your powers to the quest for it. And that's what Pastor and I have endeavored to do for quite some time now. It began in 1999, and it's increased since then. You know, religion is powerless, and it's impersonal. It's knowing about God, calling Jesus, yes, Jesus is the Savior, all of those things, but not really having a personal, everyday, up-close, face-to-face relationship with God and not having any power. Um, even have a lot of acti- Religion has lots of activities surrounding God, but one thing about religion, it doesn't want to change. Hallelujah. Say, oh me, if you can't say amen. Everything we do here at the church now is about hosting a move of God in Alabama. We know because when Goss came in 2011 and he said this, and I don't think this is the exact quote, we know we will have to give up everything we have ever had to gain everything our heart has ever wanted. But our hearts, Pastor, and our hearts want that move of God. We want the healings and the miracles. And I'll tell you what, there was a time in my life when I was in this faith movement, and even as pastor, and I don't know when it changed. I don't know when God changed my heart. But I was looking for God to do something for me. I was looking for Him to prosper me, for Him to... But God changed me somewhere along the road. And now I want to do something for God. And I don't know when I changed. But one morning I woke up and I said, and he, he showed me because I didn't even know my heart had been. I want you to do something for me. But he said, I changed you. Uh, so we are in total pursuit of this. And we are willing to give up everything we've ever had to gain everything we've ever wanted. And I guess our question tonight might be, are you willing So we gave up our building in Coker, Alabama. And we changed the name of the church to reflect the new thing God is doing. And in the process, I guess we gave up some people too. Um, We know we have been at great risk in this church, in great peril. And we've suffered much loss. Pastor and I have suffered much loss. In fact, we've lost it all. 
in order to make this thing happen and make it go. We don't have one drop of equity in our house. We don't, and I'm just not, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but I'm just trying to tell you, you're not going to talk us out of this. You're not going to stubborn us out of it. You're not going to leave and make us quit. You're not, it's not, and not that I think anybody wants to, but it just, it ought to be said. Let come hell or high water. And I think we've already had the hell. We just hadn't had the high water yet. Hallelujah. Uh, we've given every, literally everything we have. There is, there's not, if we give anything else, God has to give it to us to give it. We've sold, we've cleaned out, we've, and you know, we can do, we could, now we could clean out a little further. I will say that. Um, we've stretched beyond what we thought we could stretch. We've been misunderstood. We've been criticized. We've been stonewalled and we've been opposed. And don't think we hadn't known it. We've had we've been in peril. We've been in sleepless nights, as Paul said. But you know, none of it, all of it's going to be worth it in the end. Every bit of it's going to be worth it in the end. And you know, you just don't outgive God. So it's just timing. Hallelujah. We know, Pastor and I, we cannot bear to live without the move of God. And I will say this, there's been a lot of people before us that have paid much, much, much bigger prices than we have. Much bigger. And if you want to read about some of them, you can go read some church history. There's people right now paying bigger prices than we have. And than we have. But... We just wanted you tonight to know how much we want a move of God in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa. It's not even good enough for it to be in Birmingham or Mobile at Bay of the Holy Spirit. That's not good enough. We want it in Tuscaloosa. We want it, we don't even have to be the big cheese. But we don't. We do want River Church to be totally immersed in it. If you know, we've told Pastor Avery. You know, if revival hits there, holler, and we'll be out there tomorrow night. You know, so we're not looking to be. Hallelujah! We're not looking to be exalted. We're not looking to be known. We're not looking for any of that. But whatever it takes. And I tell you what, every ministry has to line up to that. Every ministry in this church to that pursuit of everything I've got to make this place a place where God moves. Okay, we're going to watch a video now. It's about 20 minutes, but the kids are wanting to have a party anyway, so we'll be right on time. Uh, I'm Bill Johnson. I uh, see, am the senior pastor at Bethel Church in Redding, California, which is about uh, three hours north of San Francisco. In, uh, I think it was the summer of 1994, I had a pastor friend who had traveled back here 
and he brought back a report of what God was doing. And uh, so I purposed in my heart at that moment, uh, at the earliest chance, I, I needed to try to fly back here. And, uh, and so it, it ended up being the following February that uh, I, with a couple friends, uh, flew back here and attended a conference and was uh, just powerfully uh, touched by the Lord during that conference. What happened for me is we started to have a similar outpouring of the Spirit at the church I pastored uh, is in a city called Weaverville. It's a mountain community. And in 1987, we had this unusual visitation following two John Wimber conferences that I attended. When I got home, things just blew up. And, um, but it was sporadic over the next many years. And so when I heard about what was happening in Toronto, I asked the Lord, I said, God, if you'll touch me again, I'll never change the subject. Because I realized that what I did is I took the move of God and I added it to what we were already doing instead of making it the heart and soul of who we were. And so I made that promise to the Lord. And so when I came to Toronto, the Lord really impacted me. I received prayer every chance I got. I think I was prayed for five times the first night. You know, I just get in every line I could and, and, uh, and received a tremendous sense of presence and peace. But I had no dramatic encounters. That was uh, a number of months later. But I knew that I had just seen what I was going to give the rest of my life to. But when I went home, um, I began at that moment to never change the subject again, but to make the outpouring of the Spirit, that which God was doing in the earth, the only thing I lived for. But it was all ignited here. It was all, it was all that fire, you know, of, of, of passion. I, I didn't come as a burnt out uh, pastor. I heard the testimonies, the stories of so many that came that were just, you know, just at wit's end. And I wasn't at that place. We were in a really good place. But I did come hungry because I knew there was so much more. When I walked into the room, I realized, this is it. This is it. So I gave the rest of my life to this. And, uh, and so that, uh, that is really where the Lord rekindled what He deposited in us uh, earlier in 1987 and then just took it to a whole nother level. Every week from that February date in 1995, every week since then, no exceptions, that's all we do is we, we, we don't just pursue manifestations, those kinds of things. We just are interested in the presence of the Lord, learning to host that presence, learning to take risk, learning to see what Jesus experienced and modeled, have that demonstrated in the church. And, uh, and we've been on a real journey of, of learning how to, how to host that presence, how to give ourselves to Him more completely and give Him room to do whatever He wants to do. And, um, and it's become, you know, it's becoming a real lifestyle for us now after these 12, 13 years. Uh, it's really changed how we do life. And the cool thing for us is that we've seen now with this outpouring of the Spirit, there's a culture that is forming that is all, it's what we refer to as a revival culture. Because the heart of God is for a culture to be formed in an outpouring of the Spirit. Because then that culture actually helps to sustain a movement. If you look at various cults around the world, they exist because they succeeded in developing a culture around their beliefs. And the culture is where the church has failed sometimes because what we experience in the church doesn't dramatic, dramatically change how we do life outside of the four walls of the church. So we're experiencing a transformation where there's an infiltration into our city, uh, which bringing transformation change to a whole city. So, but it's coming out of that the, 
the experience with the Lord, uh, the encounters with the Lord, the, the, the manifestations are included, all the above, the miracles, the, all of it is just changing how we approach life. And all of that came and really started as it, it was ignited in our, uh, in our time here. I was pastoring in Weaverville, which is an hour west of Reading. And we were sent there, my wife and I and kids were sent there 17 years earlier. And uh, when, we, uh, when I came to Toronto, and that outpouring dramatically impacted our life, when I came back to the church, I began to teach every week on this. And the church uh, received it with open arms. We, there was a few people that didn't, but it was really the exception and not the rule. Uh, because I'd been there for, uh, at that time, it had been 16 years, that they had, uh, they had grown to trust me as their leader, as their pastor. And so as we made this journey into this outpouring, uh, they came along with, and it just had tremendous impact on the church, impact on the city. The mother church, which is where I'm at now, saw what was happening. They were without a pastor, and they asked us to come back down. And their sole desire was for revival. And that was their whole motivation in asking us because they visited up in the mountains where we live. They visited and they saw what God was doing. And they said, we've got to have this. And so the leadership, 100% support behind that move and asked us to come now, leave the daughter church to the mother church and uh, pastor there. And when we came, I told them, I said, listen, I said, I was born for revival. That's why I live. And if you don't want that, you don't want me because this is not negotiable. And uh, it was an overwhelming response of favor for us to come. One of the first Sunday nights that we were there, the people were tired. They were tired because they'd been without a pastor for eight months. They'd really been emotionally up and down, spiritually up and down, and it was an exhausting season for them. So I invited the whole church to the front of the sanctuary. And I asked the Holy Spirit to come with power. And he did, he fell on one lady. The power of, and I got hundreds of people all along the front of the sanctuary, and it's a fairly large church, and um, a couple thousand people, uh, some say maybe 2,800, somewhere in there. And so I invited the Holy Spirit to come, and the power of God fell on one lady. And my wife and I looked at each other, and we put our thumbs up, we went, we got it. It's unstoppable now. Can't stop it. Because we, have, we're, we were moved by the fact that God came and we knew that this is now unstoppable. It doesn't matter what anybody does. And, uh, and so we begin to just uh, sow into that. And by sowing into it, uh, in teaching, in uh, giving opportunity for people to be touched by God, by the power and the presence of the Lord. And uh, healing hadn't broken out so much at the beginning. It was just transformation of individual lives internally. And, uh, and so it just started to spread like wildfire. The Lord began to pour in and uh, miracles began to break out. Uh, it became normal for miracles on a weekly basis, and now it's come to a daily basis. And uh, in public places, it doesn't matter where it is, uh, uh, there's just every day is an occasion for extraordinary miracles. And, but it all, it all started with that kind of a breakthrough where, as the people, they said, listen, we want this more than anything. And there were many who paid a tremendous price. Uh, to follow the Lord in this outpouring. But uh, it's a bit embarrassing to talk about the price because of what you get in return. 
you know, it's trading something of very little value, dignity, you know, the applause of man, trading those things in for the favor of heaven is not much, not much comparison. So um, we're, we've been so thankful for what we've seen God do. And now the miracles have become a real, I don't want to say a focus in the sense that that's what we live for, but we're unwilling to live with the gospel without miracles. Because the problem's not on God's end, it's been on ours. And, and uh, so we're unwilling to do this life without pursuing the breakthrough of God's power to change lives, uh, inner healing as well as physical, mental, emotional stuff. So it's been quite a ride. Just got another report just a few minutes ago of another case of cancer that was healed. And we're contending for a cancer-free zone. We just really believe that we can press into this and see a breakthrough, a realm in a church in a city where cancer cannot exist. And um, that's the heavenly environment that we have here uh, in Toronto and various places around the country that have really responded to the presence. And it's unmistakable, you, you just, you can't settle. And that's what we've done is we've said, we're not going to settle for routine. There has to be a demonstration that this resurrected Christ lives in us, that this resurrected Christ who has been imparted to the church it must confront the realm of impossibility. So that's how we live. It's a really big deal for us to confront stuff that people have said is impossible. I believe that God is looking for, for groups of people, for uh, congregations, for individuals, for families that are willing to give themselves to host the presence of the Lord. It's not miracles, so I can put a notch in my Bible. It's not even the amount of souls that can be saved, so I can impress people with the stories. It is literally that the Lord would find a resting place, that He would find a place to rest His presence upon a group of people. My conviction is the Lord will give us the measure of His presence that we're willing to jealously guard. It's whatever I'm willing to pay a price for. What, what measure of His presence am I willing to take a bullet for? That's the measure I will live in and impart to my community. And what I believe God is doing is that there are geographical locations that will be centers of, literally, of the presence of the Lord. We're, we already have this happening in some measure right now where people will walk into the building, walk into the atmosphere without prayer, without anything happening. There'll be a deliverance, there'll be a conversion, there'll be some sort of encounter with the Lord that isn't because there was a good sermon, isn't because the worship time was extraordinary, isn't because of the prayer of faith. It's simply because of the abiding presence. And we already have uh, extraordinary miracles from cancer to bipolar to uh, just amazing thing, broken necks. We had two broken necks healed in one, one Sunday just during worship, just because of giving place for the presence of the Lord. And I feel like, I feel like what the Lord is doing is there are places being marked right now being marked or people being marked as a people of His presence. And what's going to happen is there's going to be unusual, increasing manifestations of His glory. Because this that God's about to do is all about the glory. It's all about the glory. It's not about, it's not about um, the numbers of people who come or are impacted or churches planted. Those things are huge and they're important. It's not about the number of cancer cases that are healed. Really important though. It's not about how many homeless we feed, but we really love it and give ourselves to it. It's really about hosting the presence to where the glory of God permeates a region 
the glory actually permeates the people. The weightiness of God's presence actually comes in and rests upon a people until there's impact. It's the fingerprint of God on a city, on a nation. And uh, that's what I'm looking for right now. I feel like what the Lord's doing at this moment, there's been in the last 12 months, there's been a dramatic release, an increase in the earth of the, of the glory of God. You know, the, there's the promise that uh, that we all look for, that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, that the knowledge of the glory of God would fill the earth. These words are declared in Scripture. And, um, and I, I get the feeling that many Christians think that it's going to happen through maybe one, one event, you know, one invasion of God to the earth, one crisis or calamity or you know, something that would happen where the glory of the Lord would take over and cover the earth. Personally, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's true. The Apostle Paul taught that Christ in you is the hope of glory. What is our hope? It's that the glory of the Lord would fill the earth. What is the key? It's the Christ in me that is released through me. Every time you pray for the sick and somebody gets healed, the glory is manifested. You can't separate power from glory in the kingdom. That's why you always see them mentioned in the same breath in the book of Revelation. And so what happens in John 2, for example, when the water was turned to wine, in verse, I think it's 9 or 11, somewhere in that area, it says, and these signs Jesus did manifesting his glory. So what happens is as we minister to people and they get delivered or set free or saved or healed and the miracle takes place, the power of God is released into their life. There's a release of glory into the atmosphere. And the way I see it personally is that people like you and me get equipped to confront realms of darkness, to do the works that Jesus said to do. He said, as the Father sent me, I send you. And then he said, I came to destroy the works of the evil one. So that's my assignment. It's pretty simple. It's pretty clear that wherever I see the handiwork of the devil, my assignment is to fix it. My assignment is to reverse it. And so whenever we pray and that miracle comes, glory is released. And that's what I see happening right now is there's a dramatic increase of presence. And the Lord is, is um, what I think is, I think he's, he's wanting to raise up a generation of people that will learn to live from the presence of God as opposed to merely living from the principles of God. And that's a big deal. Because with principles, there, there, there is success. But with presence, there is no failure. And that's what the Lord is looking for, is for a company of people that will just carry presence. Because then we impact every room we walk into. We impact every group that we talk to because our words become spirit, the way Jesus taught in John 6. We change the atmosphere of cities. When he put the spirit of the resurrected Christ in us, when he put him in me, he expected me to conquer something. He expected me to bring fruit from the realm of the impossibilities of life. Because that's what demonstrates the resurrection power is resurrection. From death to life, something was changed. I can no longer be satisfied with things that are humanly possible. We do them. We feed the poor, we collect the money for missions, we build the buildings, we do all the stuff that's humanly possible, but they are not the high point of our celebration. The high point of our celebration is the child in the womb that's pronounced Down syndrome, that Jesus heals before it's born. The resurrection that takes place from the dead, 
Those are our high points. The cancer that disappears, the deaf ears that pop open, the bipolar that is suddenly gone, the schizophrenic that is no longer, is now in the right mind. These are the things. And this that we carry, that I carry, that we carry, I'm in debt. I owe God fruit. You know, he, Jesus cursed a fig tree once because it didn't have fruit out of season. I've heard people say, well, Jesus had bad days, you know. <laughs> he just he cursed the fig tree because he was just in a bad mood. No, he's the only one who has the right to expect fruit of the impossible. And bearing fruit out of season, God's trying to remove our excuse of the seasons because we're a people that live from heavenly realms toward earthly realms. And in heaven, the trees bear fruit 12 months of the year. So the Lord is working to get us to live in that sense of indebtedness to where we can bring before him fruit. You entrusted me with the spirit that raised you from the dead. Here's what I did with it. But I also live with a sense of indebtedness to the world because I, I I believe that I owe them an encounter with God and the church. I live with an indebtedness to people. I owe them an encounter with God in the, in the most certain way to be used by God to bring others into a divine encounter is to be full of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's in all of us, but He doesn't rest upon all of us. So I want to learn how to host the presence so that, so that he rests upon. It says of Jesus, says, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove and remained. So how do you walk around a room if you've got a dove on your shoulder and you don't want him to leave? You walk around with every step is with the dove in mind. Every move you make is with him in mind because you don't want in the natural, you wouldn't want that dove to fly away. The strength of that verse was, the Spirit of God came in the form of a dove and remained. So that's, that's, that's the burden of my heart, is to learn how to live in a way that I host the presence of the Lord like that, that I bring others with words, with prayer, uh, with touch, with decrees, that I can release the reality of God's presence over people's lives and bring them into a divine encounter because it's always been about Him, it's not about us. And, uh, and to be full of God. You know, there's this great verse uh, that talks about Gideon. Uh, most of our translations say, uh, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. But the actual Hebrew says, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed Himself with Gideon. That's bizarre. He put Gideon on like a glove. That's what we live for, is for God to put us on like a glove and let us carry His presence into the world. So that's the passion. And, and that honestly is, uh, in the 14 years that I've been coming here, I, I came a year after it broke out. That's the amazing point of celebration for me, is that this company of people here, John and Carol and Steve and Sandra and the whole team have Every time I come, I'm overwhelmed by their sense of stewardship of the presence. Absolutely inspired just to do better, inspired to do better because they've, they've made such a safe place for you and me, of course, to come and to know that we're safe. But there's something about this place that God likes. 
He just loves to rest here. I just walk into the room and I just go, my, look at the glory that just increases from year to year. It's just amazing to me. You can just, you can just walk into the room and sense the Almighty God is present. That means anything is possible. And it started, you know, it started a long time ago, but it started in a lot of places a long time ago, but didn't continue. And I really believe that it continues here because he found people that were willing to do anything. They were willing to take a bullet for the presence. They were willing to do anything to maintain that sense of hosting the glory of God. And that, uh, that's the thing that just excites me more than anything else in life is that it's all about us learning to carry, to host the presence, the glorious presence of King Jesus. What's happened here in Toronto is, is there has been, um, there's been success in creating a culture. And what we're finding is we're finding uh, uh, we're so similar, what's going on here. Uh, is so similar to what I see uh, happening in our own place in Reading. And it's amazing to be able to partner together and to see such a broad spectrum of ministries that touch the poor, that touch the business world, that touch uh, the young and the old, and that's all about equipping and training. And, and uh, what we've been doing is there's been a fair amount of cross-pollinization that's been happening, not just with John and Carol and my wife and myself, but other ministries within our churches okay. where we've spent time together in each other's houses and there's been impartation, right, there's been yeah. real impact. If you weren't changed tonight, your wood's wet, that's for sure, but we were changed. I just want to uh, just say this, you know, we're, church is not supposed to be so serious, but when things aren't like they should be, it has to be serious. You know, when your kids, when you're raising your kids and they're going the wrong way, you got to have a serious day in order to make everything else good. And what we're seeing here is just to get everybody on the same page, your personal struggles, you know, with your money, with your job or with whatever, you may think that that's the issue. You may think, well, it's prayer or it's the pastor or it's their, this building. But you know, really, it's just the fight against the presence that God has ordained and, and desired to be in this place of Tuscaloosa that's like Weaverville, that's like Reading, that's like Toronto. We don't know why he's chosen Tuscaloosa, but he's moved us here and positioned us here because that's what he wanted. And the, str the struggles we've gone through, we've always known the fight was for his will to be done, not financial and not, you know, your kids doing this and your job doing that. And the, it's not that. It may seem like that's that, but when you get that fixed, it'll break out another place until we decide that we're going to pray the price and pay the price for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, the 12 spies. Ten of them didn't make the turn. They just, they just thought about other things. They thought about the giants. They thought about the walled cities. And they thought it was about that. And it was never about that. It was about the kingdom. It was about God's plan. And where they, when they would go and get God's plan, despite all that, 
then everything would be fixed. And until you get to where everything, where God's plan is manifest and, and paramount, nothing ever gets fixed. You live your whole life saying, I just fought all my life. I fought cancer. I fought the layoff. I fought my kids. And you never get it fixed. And how we fix it is just to sell out and say, yes, Lord. I don't know why he's chosen y'all. I don't know why he's chosen us, but I know he has. And the day that you say, Lord, I'm chosen, it's a good day. It's a better day. And the next better day is when you say, I am going to man up, so to speak. I'm going to yield and go with that, whatever the cost. And Debbie and I have not always paid the cost as far as, you know, uh, we've had distractions. We've had, you know, we've had things that we got off in, in the sense of hot pursuit and got on to other things, but we always came back. And our heart was always to be on. We just didn't see it. You know, sometimes you don't see it like it is. So we've started some things and all that sort of stuff, but I'm telling you, we're, we know now. And I'm, I'm inviting y'all, not, not for me, I'm just inviting you to let the Holy Spirit talk to you and sell out. We've got the plan here. I'm reminded of Esther when Mordecai went to Esther and said, girl, you got to go in and talk to the king and uh, or your, our people are going to perish. And um, she said, man, if he doesn't invite me and if he doesn't do the do, I'm over. And uh, Mordecai said, you know, if you don't do it, another one will be raised up to deliver the people, but you won't be in on it. And, you know, that's, that's the thing, is God's going to have his way, but you and I have first chance to be used of God. We get to be the two spies that said, hey, amen? We can do this. And that was the whole problem with the ten spies. They said, we can't do this, when it never was about that. It was about letting God do it. It was never about them saying they're... The giants are ours and the cities are ours. It was always about saying, God, what do you want to do? And he did it at Jericho. You know, he, he showed what he could do. So, you know, I'm not inviting you to do anything. We have personally, like she said, we, you don't know how it is, but I can tell you how it is. We've personally put every single thing we have on the line to make this happen. However it goes, when the end of it's there, the Lord's going to say to us, you didn't always get it right, but your heart was always to give it all. And so we're counting on him raising up somebody to help us push it through for his glory. I want to be that place. You know, I don't, that's why we don't care about the steeple. We don't care about the building. We want that, but I mean, it's like the presence is everything. And the other will follow. The other will follow if it should or could. It will. He always, he likes nice stuff too. <laughs> you know, it's not like he's... He's barrio-minded. He likes nice stuff, but we got to get it straight. So um, we're asking you, can't do it on Sunday much because, you know, we have everybody here, but we're asking you as a church, because you're already here, to get in with us this month and help us financially. I don't know if that's the right way word to say. We're, we're, we're just saying deliverance will come. You might as well have, you might as well have a seed in that uh, uh, that deliverance. So we're going to receive our midweek tithes and offerings tonight. If you're giving, you'll need an invite.